0: So I do feel like I haven't spoken in like nine years. It's the longest time in this church's history that I've ever been away. Um, but I did, somebody told me I look 10 years younger for sitting on the beach in Florida. So God bless, I now only look 40, which is great. In early May, I look 50, somebody told me. Um, that's what they guessed the age was. So it's been a while since we were in First Corinthians, but I do want to prep. Just a little bit because uh, we had Easter and Palm Sunday, and there was another kind of topical teaching in there. But First Corinthians was a letter written by Paul to a church that he was um, he had been at for the longest time, eighteen um, ish months. He had been at this church, and the church became very divided. Very, you might even call it click, clique, uh, clickish. Uh, they started to be kind of into sects, like oh, we're into this teacher and. Uh, some of us are into this teacher, but we like this guy better, and and yet you do find that in Christianity, but generally not in the same church, like where somebody who teaches something that's like over here, and, and people over in the same church are like, no, we're into this person over here, and they, they don't believe like kind of that second and third tier stuff, they they're not even the same page. That's rare when you find people staying at the same church where they're just completely theologically divided. Um, you do find these reformed churches and these kind of uh, free will or uh, Arminian churches or Wesleyan churches. You do find a lot of that within Christianity, but they're generally not in the same fellowship, like in the, under the same roof. And so this church started to get like this. And Paul was going to write them a letter that was, I mean, this is a lengthy letter, and it, it goes from everywhere from theology to, to sectarian or what we call denominational differences, all the way to immorality, sexual immorality, and, and we're going to get into um, even stuff about communion, uh, which we'll get to. But I titled the message Principles We Love to Forget because the American church struggles a little bit the same as this church. There were uh, seven churches that Jesus wrote letters to in the book of Revelation, and they're kind of all over, the, the struggles are all over the board. But this church struggles with a lot of the same things that the, quote, Western church struggles with. And there is, you guys know this, because there's so many teachers, and there's so much out there, and there's, I mean, there's documentaries about churches and faiths and denominations, and there's there's 50 different churches in this town alone that would, that would probably disagree on second and third tier uh, principles. But what we're really getting at in this, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, what we're really getting at is a, is a pride that comes from misunderstanding what the Christian walk really is about. Like, what did Jesus really call us to? Did he call us to materialism and comfort, or did he call us to sacrifice and surrender? I think we all know the answer to that, but this church was kind of like, yeah, 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 we, we got you, Paul. But they weren't giving him the respect as the founder of the church, and an actual apostle. Um, there's people who call themselves apostles today, not the same as the original apostles. If you if you want to call it the gift of apostleship, that's different than saying you are one of the original apostles, one of the sent ones of Christ, one of the ones Jesus said, "Hey, you guys are going to go out and start churches, start fellowships." That was given not to hundreds and thousands of people. There are churches who disagree with that. That's a, no, 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 all, every gift is the same. Everything's the same. It's never changed. And Acts chapter two, three, four, it's the same as right now. I don't think you can make that uh, argument. But principles we love to forget. This letter was written to straighten out a lot of issues in the church that Paul had started and loved more than anything. I mean, Paul loved this church. He loved these people. He loved them. He was there for so long for a guy who was a planter and a mover and a shaker. Just I mean Paul moved and moved and moved. They were into materialism, they were into sectarianism, they were into cliques. They were very puffed up with pride. They were a lot of them were very 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 wealthy and that was also common with the town that they lived in. There was a lot of wealth in Corinth. And they kind of thought, "Hey, that's what God wants from us." And he doesn't really want like, "Paul, your experience, we don't really get it." And, and so therefore we're going to kind of We're going to omit the things that you used to say, or we're we're going to hear you and say, yeah, we hear you, but not really give any respect to your words. They operated on a principle that many American churches also seem to buy into, and that is that as a Christian, God wants you comfortable and wealthy, and he wants your life to be easygoing. Are there people that have that life? Yes. Is that the norm? Do you see that as the norm in the New Testament uh, churches? No, you do not. Comfort is one thing. You can be joyful and uncomfortable. You can be in God's will, and and in a sense, other people can go, "Wow, you're really going through it." And you can be like, "I don't feel like I am. I feel like it's nothing to give that up for God." Like I've seen people that it, nothing phases them because they're they operate so tight on this obedience principle, and they operate so close to Christ that it, it's like it's nothing for them to be inconvenienced for the Lord. So I want to get into uh, verses 1 and 2 because it kind of sets up this chapter very well. Paul says, Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Very important principle because words matter in our culture. Words are, there's so many words that you can say and you're like blacklisted if you say that word. There's so many words you can say, and people go, "Yeah, I know what that means," but it doesn't really sink into their heart. They, they hear it, and it's in one ear, out the other. But unlike America, uh, I mean, American church, this church and the churches that Paul started, they did not operate on a hierarchy. In America, we might have huge denominations, like the Catholic Church, for instance. Um, the Lutheran Church, Methodist Church, these names, that we, we know these names. These names are, they're age old. And we know some of the people that started these churches. We know their names, some of them. Not necessarily all. I mean, there's a lot, there's 50 denominations that I've heard of. But sometimes there's a, there's a guy who's up here. like A bishop, or a pope, or a um, presbyter, or a uh, I mean in for lack of a better term, an executive in some churches in some what you would call denominational executive offices, Paul and his uh, traveling missionaries there are many did not operate on a you have to listen to me because i 'm number one. you have to listen to me because god put me it 's like a it 's like a pyramid company like i 'm number one and then comes off here as Paul and Silas uh, or Silas is number and, and john 's over here and no. The the apostles didn't operate like that. But at the same time, there's a respect for gifts that God gave, and there's a respect that there's a position that Paul held as apostle. And that uh, that, uh, position came with faithfulness. Like, what's the prereq to keeping Paul doing this? That he is faithful to the call. That he doesn't start going off on his own on his own deal and being like, well, now I'm, I'm interested now in kind of making like a, a denomination called the Paulian churches. And they all have to tie 20% back to the mothership in Antioch or whatever. You, you hear this. I've heard of churches, buddies of mine from Moody that started churches, and they went with with church denominations that said, you have to, we're going to push you into a church but you have to give 10% back for the rest of your life. Like if you're 25 and you're still doing it in four years and your church is 8,000 people and your budget's 8 million people, we still expect 800 grand a year or more. There's churches that do this. And they they would say we're doing it to continue to propagate the gospel and more of these churches, whatever they're called. I've heard this in more than one. And these are non-denominational names. These are non-denominational churches, I should say. So faithfulness to the gospel, to the call, is a must. There is just God, and then there's us. Paul would say the same thing. Don't follow Paul, don't follow Apollos, don't follow Peter. There's just Christ. There's God, and then there's the rest of us. But there are operating principles. Churches have an operating principle. There is leadership. Does it mean that the leadership is better than you? Does it mean that the leadership is going to go to a better part of heaven than you? No. It means that there has to be some order in a church. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that, oh, well, you start calling me, uh, Pastor Dan, call start calling me um, Your Excellency or His Grace when you see me. No. But I've seen that. I've seen people. I've seen, I, I saw somebody in, in Israel at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre taking these comments and taking these these words of praise. And it was really, really, it was difficult to stomach that. But, but without humility, it is difficult for you and I to hear one another. Remember that. If there is not a humble heart, you can talk to somebody and it's, it is literally, like it is gone. As, as soon as the two are, are not talking any longer, the words are, they're gone. no one's taking anything to heart. So Paul starts off this letter by letting this church know that the position that he has requires stewardship and faithfulness to the message of the gospel. Not to money, not to power, not to honoring me. Hey, you guys need to start calling me Father Paul. I'm sick of this. I, I may not be there right now, but I was there for a long time, and you guys need to show me some respect. No, this isn't the military. There's principles within the military that help us, and one of those is order, but he's he's starting off by letting them know, just consider us servants of Christ. And lest you think that that's not a big deal, it's a big deal because you have to be faithful to this call for the rest of your life in order to stay in this position. Why? Because if you start doing it out of, out of your flesh, it won't be long before you quit because there is nothing in there's nothing material in this letter for Paul. There's nothing he's going to get from these people that's like, oh, that was nice. That was like a back scratch. I'm getting, now I'm getting somewhere. Now I'm getting a little respect from these folks. Verses 3 and 4. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Secondly, it doesn't really matter what you guys think of me, and I'm really just telling you this out front. I don't. It's not that I don't care what you think. It's that what you think of me doesn't matter in the scheme of eternity. So if you guys think I'm awesome, that's really nice. If you think that I don't have the ability to to talk to you, or that I'm a low end um, apostle, I'm washed up. I'm uh, I'm, I, he's, he, uh, there's people who believe that when he wrote this, he was about to be arrested, again, and so that they're like, Paul's arrested. Like, why would we listen to a guy who's going to be arrested and and probably tried and and not getting out of prison? Why would we listen to that? You'd listen to it because your Lord was arrested, <laughs> and your Lord um, told disciples the exact type of things right before it happened, and they bailed on him, and they at the time were terrified. When they saw him again, and when the power of the spirit went out, they changed the world. But he wasn't physically in their presence anymore. Spiritually, he was in their presence. But I don't, he's like, I don't, how do I say this without offending you guys? I don't care if you judge me good or bad because I ultimately am going to stand before God Almighty. And that's the only judge there actually is. There are judges on this planet. But in, in the scheme of eternity versus living 70 total years against eternity, um, I'm going to put my my cares in what the one in the afterlife is going to say to me. So it's it's a very small thing that I should ever be judged by you or people. There's a lot of people who, the people pleasers that might say that, might love to think that that's what they think, but they do ultimately care what others think. And so he's like, hey, I, I'm not justified by this. I don't, I don't really give any... There's no uh, credit to if the church thinks I'm awesome. In terms of being judged by you guys, it's a very small thing, considering I know that God watches me everywhere I go. He watches you and me everywhere we go. And that specifically my life and my conduct are watched by him, and I will have to answer for it. One day all things will be out in the open. Verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time, till the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. One day, though you don't see a lot of evidence of it in our culture, all things will be punished. My kids and I kind of joke that years back um, when I was on staff at at West, Calvary West, um, there was a, a kid whose dad was a cop. And he told me – I said, man, this town seems like there's a lot of petty I – I, I was new to town. I said, it seems like there's a lot of petty theft here. He goes, oh, just – I mean, if you, anything in your front yard, nail it to the ground or be gone the next morning. doesn't matter what neighbor. it's an equal opportunity crime town. So you can live in Sam Hughes. You can live uh, in, by the mall. You can live uh, on the east side, uh, Speedway and Pantano area. You're going to get robbed everywhere. And, and that's what he said. He goes, but the town does not have enough police to actually police it. And I said, well, how many cops are there? He's like 1,100. I'm like, well, that seems like a lot. He goes, well, there's a million people in the county, and there's almost 600,000 in the town, and they probably need about 1,500. Well, right now, there's a little over 500. So that was 2009. So there's 500 men and women doing the job that when he said it was low 14 years ago, there was over double that. So... Yes, a lot of things do go unpunished. Yes, a lot of things get blown off. Yes, if you call the police and somebody uh, kicked your trash cans down and does it every day, probably not going to get solved this shit out of heaven, just a guess. But God is going to deal with everything. He will deal with the small stuff and the big stuff. And Paul knows this, and he's trying to get them to know this, but there's a lot of people when they're super, super comfortable that. That doesn't really make its way into the inner part of the mind. But once I want to read it one more time. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from praise. There's also people who you think, and I think, when we watch them on TV or whatever, they're famous for some reason, we see them doing great things all the time. And I had said something to this person a few years back, and I said something about a person that I thought had done a lot of great stuff. And they said, if you really knew what, what, what kind of a person they really were, you wouldn't even say what you just said. And I go, maybe so. Maybe so. What you're saying is not public, but maybe so. That person, in their very long life, had a lot of praise from a lot of people. And if what this other person was saying was true about them, God's going to deal with that. They've already received pretty much all of their reward because everybody thought they were great. Verse six, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos, for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of of one against the other. This is probably one of the key verses, especially in this chapter, but in the book specifically. Don't think beyond what is written. It's not a sentence I've said a lot in my life. It's not a sentence that I think a lot of us memorize 1 Corinthians 4, 6 all the way through. But as a Christian, why would we think beyond what was written? Well, because we don't often know what is written. That's the problem. So this principle is as necessary for you and I as it was to the original um, hearers of this letter. That Paul wrote this, and, and sometimes you think maybe Paul wrote this not knowing that this book would become like a church canonized letter. I mean, I sometimes I feel like Paul knew he was writing to lots of people. Um like, oh, wow, this might probably go beyond this church. But in the Corinthians, it's not like Ephesians and Romans. It's not like one of those books where you're like, hey, we're going to go through Romans. Oh, a lot of people will get excited about that. But 1 Corinthians, people are like, oh, that's a very specific letter for very, very Christians who need to be spanked really bad. We don't need to. Um, no, we all need to. They did need a spiritual spanking pretty badly. And we're going to get to that uh, if we have uh, eight more weeks. But don't think beyond what is written. What does this really mean? It means the counsel of God's word, which they did not have all of. They had some of it, for sure. And they certainly had the letters the scribes would write of these sermons, of these teachings. But they did not have revelation. They didn't have all of the books tightly put together and walked around with them. Oh, perfectly printed. Wonderful. They had what Paul had written to them. They had what some of the people that could read to them, some of the letters, the Old Testament, of course, but they didn't have everything. And so this letter is probably to some of them is coming as kind of a shock. Like, whoa, we don't have, this isn't what we, what we read in the book of Mark. Um, this isn't what Isaiah said. You're saying some pretty harsh things and it sounds like it's just for us to hear. Yes, you guys are living outside of your coverage. You ever driven in fog and you're like, there's a speed that happens with fog where you're like, eh, I can only see 10 feet past my eyes right now. Um, years back, I was driving a, a tour bus with a band, and it probably shouldn't have been, but because it was registered as an RV, they just let anybody. It was the '90s; people just did whatever they wanted back then. Um, there was no tra- traffic camera stuff, and I'm driving this bus somewhere in New York and and crossing into Pennsylvania, trying to catch a flight in Baltimore the next morning to make a, a wedding by 12 noon in Chicago. These are the types of things at 21 I, I did. Like, oh, this is this will be nothing. Like, we'll. We'll just do the show. It was like a YMCA camp in Syracuse or something. And then I have like nine hours tops to get on a plane in Baltimore. And it's just like summer rain. So it was like July or something. And I'm driving this thing and I got this bus floored. I'm like, we got to make it tonight. I can't see five feet past the windshield of the bus. And the bus windshield's here. There's no like hood ornament, like on a Benz or something. You can't see, you wouldn't be able to see the hood ornament. And I'm just flying. And I'm like, this seems really unsafe, but I'll just keep doing it because I'm 21. And you're like, God's like, all right, dispatch the angels. We're going to need a few more uh, uh, in front because I got some plans for these knuckleheads. They're all sleeping in the back. It's like 2 a.m., and I just gave up. And so I made the, the lead singer who was like, I paid you to drive the bus this weekend. I'm like, I'm just too tired. And so I woke up at 6 a.m. and, at, you know, I was in this Marriott parking lot. He's like, just take the shuttle. And I made the wedding by, or, yeah, I made the wedding by like five minutes. But it was fun because, you know, you're young and everything worked perfectly at that point in time. But so many things could have gone wrong. How many deer could have jumped out in front of that bus? Way outside of the coverage. These folks are living way outside of, of not only God's word but the coverage, the blessing of God's word. And he's, he's just telling them, guys, don't think beyond what's in God's word. Don't think that you're better than this. A lot of you do. A lot of you guys think, well, you know, Paul, yeah, your life is rough. You've been called to roughness. We've been called to wealth and comfort. And we really don't want to hear what you have to say, but I guess we'll allow it because you started the church. Verse 7, he says, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive. Now if you did indeed receive to receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? This is another principle that I think most of America needs to learn, and that is how can anyone brag in this life? Did any of us have anything to do with putting ourselves on this planet and weaving our souls and spirits together in our mother's womb? No, we did not. The most Wealthy person who I believe built a 200,000 square foot uh, fulfillment center right next to my house and painted it blue and white and ruined the desert. (laughs) Mr. Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, whoever the most wealthy person on planet Earth is, how can they brag? Like, if Amazon's not possible 80 years ago, Jeff Bezos was driving a bus in New York City, right? In the 40s. Who knows? But how can you brag? You have wealth, you have yachts, you have security, you have you have planes. These people, many of these people were super wealthy people. And they're like, we'll just stand behind it. We'll just hang behind our wealth. Our, our wealth will shield us. How can you brag about anything? Every person has been given health that, that is in that, those two guys' position. They have health, really speaking. They have time to sell Teslas and to sell us junk. Uh, that gets delivered to our house every night. I bought some coffee yesterday, and it came last night, same day. So I'm a hypocrite. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I just don't like his building, which he's not even using yet. it has been sitting uh, vacant for a year. Um, but they've been given time and health and the conditions that work for to make these companies work. And as Christians, many in this church, like I said, they're, they're super well off And their lives were so different than Paul's. They're like, one of the two of us is a little off, Paul. And we'd all rather kind of live the country club life like we are. We don't understand why you're in prison all the time and in trouble and being beaten up and stuff. We don't understand it. Verse 8 starts to get sarcastic, which I love when Paul gets a little sarcastic. He says, you guys are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did not or excuse me, that you did reign, that we also might reign with you. I could wish we were on the same level spiritually. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. There's a lot in that. But Paul wishes they could see this. Sometimes you can write the most brilliant letter to somebody and they just can't hear it. They won't hear it. They won't even read it. The second they read, you know, after the, the sandwich criticism or the, the sandwich method where you're like, hey, I just want to tell you, you're really awesome, but I have these things against you. But at the end, something really nice again, like, a sand, like an Oreo. And the stuff in the middle is like, the, eh, I don't want to read that. The stuff in the middle is the bad part also in Oreos, just so you guys know. Um tastes the best, though. But as Christians, these, these folks, had there was such a contrast. It's like you can't even relate anymore with people. You can't even put yourself in their shoes. And Apollos and, and Peter and Paul and, and obviously many of the disciples, some that had already died, the original, I don't mean just the original 11 plus Paul, I mean like the original 100 people or so that were there at Pentecost and some of these folks were killed. Um, this, the, the Caesars were brutal, uh, specifically Nero, who, who, um, we read about, uh, even in Paul's day, they were brutal to Christians. Christianity wasn't legal because you said there was one God and you, you wouldn't pinch the incense and say, Caesar is Lord. You wouldn't do that. But a lot of the Jews did. And so they were like, no, 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 no. We cannot have a group of people that doesn't recognize Caesar as Lord. And many of them died. But there's quite a difference between Paul and these, some of these folks in the church. Not everybody. Um, he goes, we're fools for Christ and many of you are wealthy for Christ and that's awesome. We could wish that we were with you. We could wish that that was our experience too. But we also understand that we're under authority and God has called us to this life, which most of you wouldn't like. Most of, most of us wouldn't necessarily love to trade places with Paul. We might in the afterlife. But when you compare Christ's life and the apostles' life, there's a lot more um, parallel. When you compare Christ's life to some of these folks in the Corinthian church, it's not even close. And if you read uh, chapters 5 through the end of the book, you, you see that. It's very obvious. But he's, what he's trying to get, once again, get them to understand is humility is like this, this bridge that opens it all up. Like looking at yourself as not much. Looking at yourself as like, hey, I'm not all that. And, and once you do, and once you say, hey, I have a lot of problems, then somebody can say, hey, me too. Let's work on this together. That's all Paul wants is for them to acknowledge this. He says in verse 10, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak. You are strong. You are distinguished. We are dishonored. There's the sarcasm right there. You know, you guys are the greatest and obviously we've done something really bad. It's almost like he's like playing on what you would call karma today, like we've done something really bad because we're living for Christ, and we're like being like kicked out of, of synagogues and, and jailed and beaten, and you guys are living like kings. you guys are the best. Clearly, whatever you're doing is working. He's obviously messing with, them on, on, with this verse. but he's trying to get him to see through, through satire, hope, hoping to inspire a change, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. And we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Now, I'm not trying to put myself in any way, shape, or form on Paul's level. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that in 20 years, I'm not pastor in this church anymore, and I'm somewhere else, and I come back, and there's a bunch of people in here, and everyone's like, just, they're doing whatever they want, and they're super wealthy. And I come in, and I'm like, hey, is there any way I could, like, have a hamburger at Potluck? And they're like, just get out of here, old man. I'm like, but I started this church. They're like, who cares? Get out of here. You're old. It's there's a little of that going on here. It's it's super sad. Because in our culture, we don't revere the elderly. We don't respect them. I, I grew up in that generation where like, it's like, dude, you don't you don't you say anything but sir or ma'am to somebody who looks over thirty five to you when you're fifteen, you're gonna get whooped at home. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to my dad. So everybody's a sir to me. So what happened? I don't know. I mean the the culture doesn't they, they don't go that way. The the American culture kind of kind of moved a different direction and now we worship youth. But there's something about these these folks that have lived and especially in Paul's case where he can like really really teach these people something even from afar. I mean it would be like the equivalent of like YouTube teachings today like hey we can't have our founding pastor here but we're going to we're gonna honor him by watching a sermon that he did. He's he's pretty close to death, and he he wanted to say this one last thing. to Us, and so we're gonna we're gonna fill the pews, and we're gonna watch it, and go, hey, God, thanks for sending a faithful man. That would have been nice. They didn't do that. They couldn't do that. At least they could do, you know. Hey, we're we're, we're we literally right now hunger and thirst. We're poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Paul in another a place that said, hey, I know what it's like to abound. I know what it's like to to be uh, in, in need. I know what it's like, both, both sides of the fence. But he says uh, in verse 12, and we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. And he's gonna get into the, the rest of it, we'll get into that next week. But just a couple of things, kind of wrapping it up. God has blessed you, Corinthians. You Corinthians, He has um, blessed you, and you have more than most. He goes, you guys need to acknowledge though that you need to have a humility that comes along with that, because God can ask you to give something up, and God can, if you won't, He can take stuff from you. I remember when I was, I was first time I made a lot of money when I was younger. And then when I was 29, I had a bankruptcy and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 30 years old. And I'm, I'm literally, I have like, according to my lawyer, I had a hundred dollar net worth. I'm like, this isn't good. I was making a whole lot more money 10 years ago. I don't know. I don't know why God walked me through that, but looking back, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Paul had the right to speak to this church. Make no mistake. If anybody does, to this church. It's the guy that started the church. He had the right to speak to this church and because of his past with them, they should have honored him. And it should have been like whatever you want brother. I mean, they should have like been sending cash to this guy. Somebody. Hey, we got a benevolence fund and we at least want to pay for you to have representation with your with your coming trial or we want to at least like put money behind your your ministry because look, like look at how we're now a fellowship and we weren't. And you came all the way from basically Antioch all the way to Corinth, which I mean, any distance back then was no small thing. But he had the right. This is not a random guy who showed up with a wealth scheme and wealth shaming them into giving all of their money into his ministry. I've seen this so many times. When you see somebody speak, when you go to a conference, I mean, I'm talking about Christian stuff. When you go to a conference, when you go to a uh, a thing, whatever that is. Hey, we're having this thing at this church, and this guy is coming to speak. When you see a person speak, if the angle is not the gospel, you should probably ask some questions. Just ask some questions. Just say, hey, God, w- what would you have me do here? Don't just be like, go all in, like, oh, well, they said if I give uh, $20 every single month, and they're going to play Christian music all over the country for the rest of our lives okay, well, let's look into the com- the company that we're giving to, um, because I have I had an interesting story with that that I won't get into, but not everything Christian that's an organization is Christian, and there are, I could probably talk for another 30 minutes about things I've given money to that I found out after the fact, the guys running it weren't so nice and weren't so good, but in this case, we trust Paul. We, we trust that Paul had issues. We trust that he had struggles. He tells us that in mid-Romans. He's not trying to say, hey, I don't struggle anymore. I've arrived. I've apprehended the faith. No? He said the opposite of that. Paul was humble. Was he a little rough? Was he a little edgy? Was he a little, maybe a little short sometimes? Yeah, but he's a human being. We can all, we can all be like that sometimes. Sometimes. But he never asked them for money. He wasn't asking them here, if you finish the chapter, he wasn't asking them to be like, and now you need to give half of your wealth to us. He was saying, guys, it's the kingdom of God. Not worded, but in power. That's word, That's for next week. But there was a uh, there was a principle, I love David Guzik says this, and I want to close with another quote that talks about this. But there was a principle that uh, David Guzik says that the Greeks believed, the people The the culture that the Corinthians lived in and came out of, this was the principle. If you're a Christian, the closer you get to God, the easier your life becomes. Now, I was, as a little kid, I was almost coaxed into that at an Awana meeting. Hey, raise your hand if you want to give your life to Jesus, and everything's going to be perfect. Well, as a kid, it has the tendency, if you're living in a pretty decent situation, it can be okay. It can be pretty good, but that's not... That is not what Jesus would tell you. Jesus would tell you, you're, you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to give some stuff up. I want to close with this, with this quote. David Lowery, who um, wrote a commentary on this book specifically, says, From the example of their lives, Paul hoped the Corinthians would learn the lesson of humility. This was a difficult lesson for the Greeks, and I would even say the Americans people that you and I live with because they believed humility was a despicable trait of a slave. That is what the Greeks believed. They believed it was a despicable trait of a slave, a sign of weakness and, and not a characteristic of great men. That's what they believed. And so the culture very much influenced this church and the culture of America right now has very much infiltrated the church almost everywhere you go. I had a woman, uh, we were trying to sell something on Craigslist a year and a half ago and she came here with her husband to look at it and she goes, hey, I kind of like this place. Uh, You guys a Bible church or whatever? I go, well, yeah, it's called Calvary but we're non-denominational, kind of go through the Bible. She goes, you're not woke, are you? I go, no. I barely had heard that word. Really don't like that word, by the way. I mean, unless you say I woke up. Um, I don't like that word. There's so like, it, so many negative connotations, but I don't like all the slang that comes up. We're all supposed to like catch up on and like, you know, we have to know what this means. We have to know what woke means. I don't like it. Um, I just, the, the slang in America, I'm getting really tired of it. Um, all the extra words that we have to come up with. Like, we don't have enough. Like, I don't have enough struggles of my own talking with English. Come on, I don't need any more trouble. But Paul's, Paul is trying to just underscore one thing. No matter what your issues are, and I'm talking to all of you and me, no matter what your issues are in life, through true biblical humility, you will get through them. You absolutely will get through them. It might be a whole life struggle. It might be a train wreck sometimes. You might just feel like, man, I am the worst. It's better than feeling like you're the best Christian that ever lived, Trust me. Like having a little bit of that is okay. But when... People put worldly principles, or what he would call um, you know, living outside of the word, living past it, like go, you're cruising way past where God stops and puts a period on the end of the sentence as to how his, his children should live. When you go there, you start this kind of adversarial relationship with God's word. And you start, sometimes you start adversarial relationships with God's people. And you always want to be willing. If somebody is willing, if there's an issue, if somebody's willing to have that conversation, you want to be willing to do it. You, but you have to come to the conversation and go, hey, I have some stuff against you, you have some stuff against me, we're here to hash this out, right? Okay, great. I want to start off by saying, I definitely have some legit concerns, but my goal is that you and I would, at the end of this, just both be on the same page with Christ. Because that is pretty much the only way things can work now. Now that we're a completely clicked, uh, divided country, with Christians, you find that some Christians have, have taken a little bit, they've married um, They married a little bit of the world, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of religion that's taken a little bit of this, and a little bit of this, and a little bit of Buddhism, and a little bit of Hinduism, and gone, oh, this is, this, is, this is my new belief system. But I'm mostly Christian. I've heard people say, I'm Christian, and then they believe these other things. I'm like, where did that even come from? Well, I mean, you have to be a little bit, you know, open to stuff these days. Well, you don't, but you are, and and, and that's obvious. But when someone kind of out, out, if you will, they outlast their coverage or they go past the – it's like when you're running to catch a pass and you way outrun the football, there's no telling what you'll believe, truly. There's no telling how far off of the narrow path you can be. Um, I was – I was thinking about this analogy as I was studying this week for this. And I was thinking, I just drove 6,200 miles with an RV towing a van. Stupidest thing in the world (laughs) to ever do is to tow a really heavy car behind your RV so that you're now longer than semis, which I was, just without the the front part. And I noticed that there were times I, I drove so many different times of the day that depending on where you're at in the country, sometimes you're just alone on the road. And it's really really nice. There was a part in like rural Georgia where I was like, man, this is like good roads and I'm just like, you know, it's very windy. So I'm just like, I'm slipping into both lanes to make it easier for Shannon in the back. She's trying to take a nap in the back and I'm like, you know, sometimes when you drive when you're you're driving what they say is the speed limit but you're like, this is not bent properly. And and you know, you 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 almost kind of lose it a little bit cuz you're like 75 seems fast right here. But there were, I, I was just kind of like, I was kind of slaloming in and out of the lanes, just enjoying myself because I saw nobody behind me and nobody in front of me and no officers in front of me, which was great. <laughs> but when I was in Brooklyn, stupidest other thing I ever did was drive that thing downtown Manhattan, basically. Um, GPS, they don't have a thing. Are you driving an RV and are you an idiot? Yes. Okay. We'll take you on different roads. Um, at one point they told me it was gonna take seven hours to get to Philly from Manhattan, it's supposed to take two. And I'm like, I can't do that. I'm gonna cry right now. So when you're when you're when you're in a narrow lane and there's no margin for error and you're kinda of tight and things are like like the buildings are like you can't even see the sky, there's a tendency to be like hyper aware of your situation. But when you're like kind of drifting, like we do kind of spiritually Sometimes we find ourselves just all over the road, and then something behind you is, like, right on you, and you're like, ah! You know, now there's, like, a cop on you, which did happen once. Um, He didn't do anything, but I was like, man, I could have been pulled over three three things right there. Thank you. But there's something about that narrow street and that narrow way that kind of keeps you accountable. It's not bad that Paul had that life, and he stayed pretty close to Christ. I mean, you... We we believed his word. We believed that Paul had his issues, but Paul was like, dude, Christ is everything. And then we see other people and they're like, hey, dude, it's like 25 lanes wide life. Just wherever, man. Wherever you go over here, that's great too. If you go over here, that's great too. There's something about that accountability of that narrow street, that narrow way. And I believe that's why Jesus told us, when you follow me, it's not going to be a parking lot wide. Just like whatever you want to do, wherever you want to do it, it's, you got to keep your hands on the wheel. you got to keep your eyes in front of you. Don't outlast your coverage. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, Paul's example. God, we know that uh, he didn't lift himself up above other people. Um, but God, that he, he, all he wanted was for this church to be tight with you. And uh, God, that's what we desire personally in our own lives, that we're all on the same level. We're all children of yours if we're in Christ. There's nobody better than another. There's nobody higher than another. But God, help us to understand that there is order in your house and that your house is not only a house of prayer, but there's order to the kingdom and that we have to allow people to to be able to say stuff to us and to be able to um, lovingly correct us. God, I pray that we would be mindful of that. I pray that we would be mindful of where we're at and that God, the humility... That you're calling us to, God, is something that's a daily revisitation. And God, that we would um, just cherish the time that we have left and be thankful for it, even though we live in days that are evil. God, that you gave us breath and you gave us life and you gave us time uh, on this earth to get to know you better. God, we pray that for uh, for everyone in here, Lord. I pray that those that are drifting, those that are uh, in difficult circumstances, God would would draw near to you in these times. In Jesus' name, Amen.